Mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Smith rifles that one to Mims. And that's a foot race. He's going to win. Touchdown, Baylor. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Five straight games, Anthony, where he's got a touchdown catch of over 20. That's deflected. And picked up Mosey. He'll take it in. It's a pick six and a touchdown. Bell into the middle of that line. And it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder. 85 yards. There was contact with a quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know and what? it's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And now that the draft is over and so is free agency, talking to a bunch of people who are keen observers of both. And so bringing back one of the most popular guests on the show, somebody that Jets fans know very well because he is the co-host of Stick to Football with Matt Miller and also the co-host of the great subscription-only podcast Badlands with Joe Caparoso. Mr. Connor Rogers. Connor, what's going on, man? Scott, how are you, man? It's always good to catch up. Uh, after the Jets offseason, in the middle of the Jets offseason, and right now, the Jets offseason that seemingly will never come to an end. <laughs> never does. The Jets always find ways to make things interesting. Before we get into that, though, Connor, I have to ask you about this because I've been meaning to bring it up. I keep forgetting. I've been texting you about other things, but I never mentioned this to you. What in the world were you wearing draft night on the set at Bleacher Report? <laughs> what was that? <laughs> well, we have a, a phenomenal uh, stylist at Bleacher Report, Sarah Wood, who who really hooks it up for all of us, me, Lesko, Miller. And, and basically, I just tell her every year now for the draft or any big events, get get even more crazy, whatever we want to try. <laughs> so uh, it was it was kind of like a, a Conor McGregor kind of look I felt like when I was in the the pink and white jacket <laughs> on night number two which I always say is my favorite night so I saved the best uh for the the hall of Denzel Mims that night <laughs> I was gonna say watching it I was struck by the fact that I felt like it was taken out of Saul Goodman's wardrobe closet or something for anybody that watches Better Call Saul. But it was definitely interesting and unique, no question about it, just like the Jets draft. So let's start with that. Makai Becton, the last time you came on the podcast, you said that there was such a wide swing between what he could be both good and bad, that he could either be an all-pro or out of the league in two years. Having taken a deeper look at the tape after the Jets drafted him, and with all the hyperbole settling down, do you still think it's that wide of a swing? I actually don't. And the reason being, Scott, is not really anything to do with the tape, because overall the tape is very, very good, especially the jump um, you know, in between 2018 to 2019, where 2019 he was just flat-out dominant. And it's 
it's not like it was just against bad teams all the time. I mean, the, the performance against Notre Dame, it, who had two, you know, very, very solid edge rushers on that front, he shut them out. You know, you watch him just completely destroy everybody he went against against Syracuse, who once again has good players up front. So the reason being that I think the spectrum isn't as wide, though, Scott, has nothing to do with the tape and everything to do with the work ethic off the field. And I think at some point with Mekhi Becton, something just completely clicked. And, and honestly, let's not forget here that these guys are very young. And it, it's really tough to work as a college athlete compared to an NFL athlete. And for Mekhi Becton, who just turned 21 years old, that, I don't think we talk about that enough. I mean, you know, the week before the draft or the week of the draft, he turned 21 years old. So a very, very young player. You know, kind of similar to when the Jets drafted uh, Sam Darnold, similar to when they drafted Jamal Adams, Quinn and Williams. You know, a lot of the first-round picks over the years for the Jets have been very, very young players that are, are not only – the game's not only catching up for them mentally, but physically with their bodies, getting stronger, getting, you know, sometimes bigger. And with Becton, it was actually not necessarily getting bigger, but transforming. Now, he has this gifted – six foot seven frame that, you know, he's most likely going to be the biggest person on the football field every single Sunday. Now the question was tailoring that weight that, you know, a guy that played at over 370 pounds at times, can you tailor that weight and play more at 360, 355 and make it more muscle? And he's already got an incredible, incredible foot speed and quickness for his size but he can get even better with a little bit more tailoring of the body. And I think what we've seen since December, since he started training with Duke Mannyweather is just, and it's not about, you know, a lot of guys can train before the draft and or not before the draft, but before the combine and put on a show. It's how you train up until you get to training camp, how you walk into training camp. And I think with Makai, it's been phenomenal, honestly. It really has. He, he's proven any – and everybody had the questions about the weight. It's not just me. It's not just, you know, teams in the NFL. It's a lot of people in, in media. It's it's really anybody that, uh, you know, that watches college football players as NFL draft prospects because of the fluctuations that Becton had to deal with while at Louisville. And it seems like he's just kind of hit his stride right now. He's hit his groove. Obviously, I said something clicked. I think he realized that he wasn't just going to be this naturally gifted college player, but could be this lights out NFL player. And I think he's working towards that. Now, once again, technically there are things that need to be refined, but every single prospect that comes into the NFL needs technical refinement to some kind of, you know, point or the other. But most importantly, I think with Becton, the fact is the conditioning has been priority one for him. And it's showing. I mean, you see him in the videos that are posted to this day. Videos are still being posted to this day during the pandemic, working out in Duke Mannyweather's garage, uh, working on explosive movements, keeping that diet very, very much in check. And he just looks great. And I think that's why the spectrum has closed a little bit where you sit there and go, wow, well, if this is the kind of work ethic you're getting after the draft before training camp, then you feel pretty good because if he puts in that kind of work at a minimum, I feel like he can be an average player, Scott, a guy that's a really, really strong, powerful, quick on his feet, run blocker that has such a good 
radius and pass protection and good feet and pass protection that he's still very, very hard to get around. Now, the reason I say average at a minimum is, well, he can become great. And what that really entails is, you know, balance, number one, definitely playing a little bit more under control, I think, at times in the run game. He's somebody that he knows he can get the kill shot, so he almost looks for it so much where you don't want to, you know, overshoot at times. Uh, I think, you know, pass sets are something that he's going to take a lot more true pass sets. He's going to be expected to hold up in pass protection for much longer durations at the NFL and, and refining or really perfecting his pass sets, which I think are already pretty good. I think he has, once again, good feet. I think he's somebody that is very, very strong. And when he gets his hands on you, it's over. And I think he has the arm length to recover even when beaten because guys just have to take wider angles to get around him. Guys, you know, have less room to counter inside against him. So with Becton, you have to feel pretty good about the start of things. Now, once again, you know, playing against NFL pass rushers, he's not always going to be this overpowering force that can just rely on that at times. He's not always going to be, you know, just more athletic than the guy across from him. There's going to be a competition adjustment. But in terms of the trajectory he's put himself on, things just feel very, very promising for Mekhi Becton. You hit on something very important there in terms of Becton's trajectory, and I think a lot of it has to do with the people that are guiding him. Duke Manyweather, one of them. Everybody knows how respected Duke Manyweather is for the work that he does with offensive linemen. And when Makai Becton was on this show, which, by the way, if you haven't had a chance to listen, go into the archives and check it out, he talked about how Duke Manyweather has not hesitated to tell him what he needs to improve on and work with him strenuously on it. He singled out his footwork as one of the things that Duke has really been harping on. Also, his diet. He said that he's on a fish and veggie diet per Duke Manyweather. But also, Connor, I thought there was a huge improvement, not only from 2018 to 2019, but as you said, all throughout the 2019 season, you could just see him getting better and better and better. And I think a lot of that had to do with the tutelage of his offensive line coach and offensive coordinator, who is, of course, Dwayne Ledford, who did a lot for Garrett Bradbury, who went in the first round in the 2019 draft. So I think the fact that, as you said, his work ethic and his ability to learn from good coaching minds is shining through should really put a lot of people at ease in terms of what he's going to ultimately become in the NFL. Without a doubt. I think when you look at him, you know, it's kind of interesting because for Mekhi Becton, you look at his style of play and you think of perfect situations. And if you, if this guy got drafted, now he's played on both the left and right side, as you know, Scott, which is a big bonus for him. I mean, when you look at Jedrick Wills, who played only on the right side, he's been very vocal, Jedrick Wills, that going to the left side is going to be an adjustment for him. Tristan Wirfs played most of his snaps on the right side. And I think when you look at it, you know, Andrew Thomas and Mekhi Becton were the two top tackles that had really full-time starting experience in seasons at right tackle and left tackle. And I think with Becton, in a perfect scenario, you would have loved to see him go to a franchise where they have a franchise left tackle and he's going to start out on the right side because, once again, you know, maybe he gets some help from a tight end at times in pass pro. Maybe you can unleash him a little bit more as his pure run blocker. But He's thrown into a scenario with the Jets where and so, and Denzel Mims is thrown in the same way. Jamal Adams was thrown in at a time like this. 
Sam Darnold was thrown in at a time like this where there's just not enough on the roster where these guys are – the expectations for these guys are, are very tough for 21-year-old kind of players, 22-year-old kind of players that are entering the NFL for the first time. Quinn Williams last year, a little different because the Jets had so much on the defensive line already that it wasn't all or nothing on Quinn Williams. Like last year we watched Jets games, and there was plenty of times, most of the time, where the defensive line – played a very, very good game, and at the end of it, you'd go, wow, I never even saw Quinton Williams. That's not going to be the case. Mekhi Becton is going to be asked to play left tackle. He's going to be asked to block on an island many, many times against very good pass rushers to protect Sam Darnold. And, and there's going to be lumps with that. And people shouldn't get overly upset with that because the expectations or, or what's being asked of him is, is very, very high in terms of the plate of an NFL rookie, a young rookie. So uh, it's nice to see that he's putting in every single thing possible to be ready for that. And sometimes I'll say this, sometimes being thrown into the fire, you know, can really help guys excel at times because sometimes they just sink or swim. It's as simple as that rather than being babied along. So if you're looking for some, you know, some pros in this scenario, I think for Becton, he's going to have, you know, the full house thrown at him from day one. And I think he's going to learn from it. And I think there's going to be plenty of bright spots as well that we get to watch if Makai Becton is a rookie this year. I want to talk about Denzel Mims too, Connor, because, and I told you this off the air, I was watching you and Miller and Left go live. And then I went back and I watched the ESPN content later because I'm psychotic and I have to get a little bit of everything. I do the same thing if that makes you feel better. <laughs> it does make me feel better. It means that I'm not alone and I'm not crazy. There are other people that share my weird neuroses with the NFL draft. But I liked what you were saying leading up to the Denzel Mims pick because you seem to be a little bit nervous that Joe Douglas wasn't going to get that receiver. And then when he came in and got it, you were like, oh, listen, Joe Douglas had a plan all along. And I think that's really evident. He must have been confident that whether it was Mims or somebody else, Christian Fulton or somebody, he was going to be able to get who he wanted. But I was right there with you. I was super nervous when they passed on Mims at number 48. And then when they got him at 59, I was really relieved. So talk me through what you were thinking as you were on set. And then how do you think Joe Douglas played this? Because it sure feels like he really got this one right, whether we were nervous about it or not. Yeah, I think he did. I think, number one, Joe Douglas is a guy that, that values draft picks, right? He, he wants more lotto tickets in every single draft to increase his chances of, you know, something I, I say on almost every show I do that discusses the draft is, you know, what kind of draft class are you getting? Are, are you getting a one-player class and that player could be a star, are you getting a, a three-player class and three of those guys are average starters? You know, are you are a historic draft would be getting a five-player class. So what we have to realize is you don't always get a ton as much as we like to imagine from drafts. So Joe Douglas went and said, okay, well, I'm going to turn this second rounder into what? Four more picks, it felt like, three more picks. So you get multiple fourth-round selections. You get your sixth-rounder back, um, you know, for the 2021 class. And you still come out with one of the players you wanted to. To me, that's a very impressive understanding of the board. And I think it, it came down to this for the Jets as far as I know, Scott. They were sitting there before they traded out of the second-round pick and moved back 10 spots. And they felt like 10 spots later, they were going to get one of Van Jefferson or Denzel Mims. That's what it came down to for the Jets. They said, okay, we don't think both of these guys are going to go. Now, it got a little scary, let's be honest, when – 
the Rams took Van Jefferson at what pick 57 and you go, Oh, wow. That was early. You know, and I, I was a big Van Jefferson fan and I thought, I, I thought I had him high in the top of the third round and he went in the second round. So the Jets sat there and went, okay, we're going to get one of these two guys and we're going to get more picks. And it worked out. I, I mean, now I actually, for how much I liked Van Jefferson, I thought Denzel Mims was a much better prospect, a much higher ranked prospect because I would say two big elements to me, one being the size and speed combo, something that you have to love. You love a guy that could stretch the field in between the twenties. And the second one that to me was the most important aspect of drafting a wide receiver for Sam Darnold this year or signing one, whatever route they wanted to go. That was getting a red zone target. This red zone passing offense was as bad as it gets last year. I felt like at times, like when your quarterback is throwing interceptions in the red zone, and forced interceptions in the red zone. And also at times not always having the confidence to go up and give guys a chance. It's a little concerning. And I think, you know, for how much we loved Robbie Anderson, Robbie was a guy that kind of thrived in between the twenties and worked his way in the, in the end zone on big plays. But when the jets got inside, you know, the 10 and 15 yard line, it wasn't, they're not throwing Robbie Anderson fades or jump balls. There's plenty of plays where Sam Darnold extended the play for a very long time and found Robbie uh, on, you know, an improvised route because of his speed. But you're not always, you're not going to live and die with improvisation. Like that's not how you're going to really function all the time. So the Jets needed a guy that can, can work, you know, the deep pylon on the fade, a guy that can work a slant across the middle and has a really good catch radius. Uh, you know, and that's what Mims, Mims did. You watch the Baylor film. I actually cut up all of his touchdowns or the coach's film that people could probably search on Twitter somewhere. And you just see dominant red zone presence. So I think that's why I think it, it actually was a, a luxury that Van Jefferson went, you know, and Mims didn't. Because you're getting a guy that I, I do believe – do I think he can come in and be the wide receiver one for this team right away? I don't think that's fair. I, I think that's not – that's not fair at all, number one. And number two, I don't necessarily know if he has to be. Now, they haven't done themselves a ton of favor at the wide receiver position this offseason off where, you know, no matter what, Denzel Mims should be getting a decent amount of targets this year. But where I know he's ready in the pro game is in the red zone right away. And I think that's really big for Sam Darnold. And I think it's something that had to be addressed. You feel good about Jamison Crowder in the slot. You really do. But – He's kind of that first down machine on third downs in between the 20s. That's what you know you're getting with Jamison Crowder. With Rashad Perriman, uh, you know, I'm more of a pessimist on his ability this year. Uh, I don't think he's the guy that we saw with the late stretch for the Bucs. And I don't necessarily think he's the guy that was almost out of the league. I think he's something in between that. But Rashad Perriman is going to be your field stretcher. So once again, you needed a big presence in the red zone. That's what Mims can do. And, you know, something that I know you've been, you've been vocal about with me, Scott, is that this guy is a hell of a blocker, a mm-hmm. hell of a blocker where if you put him out on the field right away, like he's ready to go. I mean, I, I would like to see this team. Now they don't really have the running back personnel, I think, to execute it, but I would like to see them run some outside zone. I'd like to see Makai Becton on the move out in front. I'd like to see them rely on Denzel Mims and Chris Herndon as big bodied receiving blockers out in front. So I think that's something that isn't talked about enough and something that could get him on the field right away. 
Do you think this was just a case of teams talking themselves out of a really good player? Kind of like what happened with DK Metcalf. Obviously, Mims had much better production at Baylor than Metcalf ever had at Ole Miss. But still, the point is, it seems like they kept talking about what he can't do as opposed to what he can do. And because of that, he dropped a lot further than most of us thought he would. Yeah, it's interesting. So I had him in the draft as the eighth wide receiver in a second round grade and in the top 40. And it felt like obviously the league did not value him like that because, you know, players I had behind him got drafted, you know, much earlier than him. When you look at how the board fell, there was a wait for Denzel Mims. And when I say that, you know, Van Jefferson, Chase Claypool, KJ Hamler, I had those guys behind him. And I like those players and, you know, don't get me wrong, Brandon Ayuk, Jalen Rager. I mean, they both went in the first round. <laughs> so when you look at it in terms of that, there was a wait for Mims. I, I guess I'll tell you what my concerns were with Mims after the season and why they changed. I think for me, it was, you know, uh, separating on a consistent basis, you know, basically using that speed to separate. And I think when you look at what he did at the senior bowl against, you know, some decent defensive backs and, and just overall, you go back to the film in the red zone, a guy that doesn't have to separate to win because he wins at the catch point. I think those are very important factors. I I think another concern that I personally had uh, was the drop rate in 2018. Now, then it comes out that he was playing with a hand injury, and that might explain why the drop rate got much better from 2018 to 2019. So I think with teams, number one, I, I think teams are, are stupid often, so I'd like to make that clear. And I'm not saying I'm this, you know, Nostradamus of the NFL draft. I make mistakes just like everyone else. But I also think teams make mistakes plenty of times where – just because he had to wait doesn't mean that he wasn't better than some of those players went ahead of him. It it makes you wonder. It really does. You know, maybe teams looked at the film and said, okay, you know, do we think he could separate at the next level right away? We have concerns about that. And a lot of the guys that you looked at that got drafted early that might not have had the production over that course of time, they might've been one year wonders and along the lines of that. Teams always like to do that, well, I can get more out of him kind of thing. And I think that's definitely the case with Ayuk and the 49ers. You know, they feel like in that scheme, when they scheme him open, Ayuk is so, so good after the catch that he's a really good fit for that scheme, which I agree with. Jalen Rager, a guy that I was lower on than most, Adam as a wide receiver 12. You know, I do think the drops are a concern. I, I think he was hurt. Uh, I think when you look at the quarterback play, it held him back tremendously. So Philadelphia probably said, okay, we can get way more out of that guy. So Mims became this forgotten man in a sense. And, and you know, for the Jets, I think he can be a, a true wide receiver too in their offense where he's a really good, reliable target in the red zone. He's a nice possession guy in between the 20s. He doesn't offer a lot after the catch, and that's okay. And he's a really good blocker. So I think when you look at that, you know, it it could really, really benefit the Jets in the long term. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. 
They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Connor, from what I could tell, you and I saw the rest of the draft pretty similarly, with the exception of the pick of James Morgan, Captain Morgan, which you liked a lot more than I did. But I think we were both a little bit perplexed by the Zuniga and the Pirine picks. Not necessarily that Pirine was a terrible pick, but just that you felt like they could have gotten more value with a pick at that spot in the fourth round than a guy who seems like an okay running back that is probably just going to be a backup eating some carries. Zuniga, there's some question marks there, especially with the injuries. I think we both really liked Ashton Davis, even though it was surprising to see them go safety, but just from a talent standpoint, standpoint there's so much there and he's a guy that could become a really really good NFL player Cameron Clark I know that neither one of us was necessarily sitting there all year watching UNC Charlotte tape but when you finally got down to the nitty-gritty I'm going to let you talk about this you saw a lot of things that you liked Braden Mann hard to hate a punter in the sixth round He's really good at what he does, and the sixth round is generally a spot where you're getting somebody who may or may not make the team, and at best is probably going to be a part-time player. So that's fine if you get a guy you think is going to be your punter for the next 10 years. And then, of course, Bryce Hall, I think we both agree, one of the biggest steals of the draft. So talk to me a little bit about what you thought the rest of the way. Go into a little more detail, but it seems like you and I more or less saw things very similarly, with the exception of the Morgan pick, which... I don't hate Morgan as a quarterback prospect. I just don't love the pick for the Jets in the fourth round simply because he's not going to be the backup this year. 
And then you've got three years left with him And as long as Darnold is the starter He's not really going to see the light of day And there's this whole theory that you can flip quarterbacks But that never really happens Even Jimmy G only got flipped for a pick In the initial round that he was drafted in So talk to me a little bit about all of this And where you think Joe Douglas shook out overall With his first draft Yeah, I thought it was pretty solid To be honest with you Obviously really like what they did on on, you know rounds one and two and then you look at it, and I love Ashton Davis. You know, I had a second-round grade on him. I think when you look at what he brings to the field, it's he can help as a rookie because you can play him on the field with Jamal Adams and Marcus May. Ashton Davis can, can be a big nickel kind of player. He can cover the slot. I mean, you could see all on the first drive against Oregon, the guy plays almost every role in the defense. There's a snap, you know, snaps where they play him single high safety because he has such good range. Uh, you know, there's a snap where he plays basically in the box as a, as a box safety or as an outside linebacker, and he can come down and, and bang. And there's a snap in the red zone where he plays slot corner and he picks off Justin Herbert in, in, in man coverage. So I think when you look at it, he's somebody as a rookie that, you know, and Marcus Mays gets hurt. Uh, you know, he gets banged up at times. So I think there's a chance we do see Ashton Davis starting alongside Jamal Adams in safety at some point this year. But most importantly, he will be the long-term free safety in this defense where maybe they're looking to transition to a more aggressive unit that plays a lot of cover one, and they need a safety with that deep range, that sideline-to-sideline range that can can handle, you know, that's a tough role to play as a cover one safety, a guy that's helping, you know, the corners on either side of the field, the guy that's constantly asked to help in coverage, the guy that's asked to take away the deep ball. So, Ashton Davis as a rookie can come in and, and handle a lot of coverage coverage roles. I really like the player a lot. And once again, I had him in the second round. I think he's just a great athlete and a playmaker in coverage. And there's just not a lot of guys in each draft class that possess that kind of ability to be a athletic playmaker in coverage in a league that's just throwing the ball nonstop. So I think that's why you saw a priority on a pick like that. So I was a big fan of that pick. Now, getting to the two picks that I, I really didn't love – just because I felt like – here's the thing. Two actually different reasons I didn't love them. I had Zuniga in the third round. So a third round grade, which usually means that they go around higher than that. So Zuniga went right about where I expected. I just think his skill set went healthy. You brought up a good point, Scott. He's somebody that was very, very banged up this year. When healthy, the things he does really well, I'm not sure that Jeff necessarily needed to place a premium on that. I think he's a really good run defender. I think with his body type and the way he's used at times, especially in a very good 2018 season, it's almost like he's a five-tech that could even kick in and play some three-tech. And once again, we know how many bodies the Jets have there. So unless they are asking him to maybe play a little lighter and be a true edge pass rushing threat, it was an interesting pick in my eyes where, you know, in terms of the kind of pass rusher they needed, I kind of laughed at, they signed Bryce Huff in undrafted free agency. Somebody I, I had a sixth round grade on that. I look at Huff. Huff is the kind of guy they needed in terms of that burst and bend. Now they tried that obviously a year ago with Ja'Kai Polite. It didn't work, but that's just all character and off the field issues, not anything to do with talent. They really needed a pass rusher that can kick outside. That can be a wide nine kind of rupture or even a seven, a seven kind of rusher and get upfield and go and turn the corner because you're expecting this really good interior defensive line to win on the inside and push the pocket and make the quarterback drop back and 
that should open up to opportunities. So Zuniga to me was just an interesting fit kind of pick. I don't think he's a bad player by any stretch of the means. I just don't know if he's the edge that Jets fans have been clamoring for for some time unless they plan to use him a little differently than how Florida necessarily deployed him. Now, Florida did use him in multiple roles, but overall felt like he did his best work as a hand-in-the-dirt kind of guy. So that pick was interesting. I think the other one to me was, ironically, the other Florida pick with the Michael P. Ryan. Now, this goes back to just my philosophy of running backs. If you're a guy that doesn't really do anything great, you're just kind of a jack-of-all-trades average guy. I think you can get those guys in the sixth and seventh round. I really do. And the, the matter of the fact is that's not something I think. That's something that if you just go on drafthistory.com or whatever you want to use as your database and, and click on by position running backs and look at the guys taken in the sixth and seventh round every year, there's plenty of guys that eventually end up in those third down back roles or, or spot star kind of roles. So a Pirine, I think he's a fine player. I don't think he's a very explosive player. Uh, I think he's a decent pass catcher. If I had to highlight something that I think he could be, you know, pretty good at the next level, uh, I think he runs pretty hard. But once again, the lack of burst, I, I thought this was a team that would be looking for a more explosive threat to do a little bit more outside zone running or breakaway speed kind of runner. And they signed a 37-year-old Frank Gore. Le'Veon Bell is a between-the-tackles inside zone kind of guy. And then they draft Pirine, who I know some people, you know, want to say, hey, he could be our new Powell, but he doesn't have nearly the burst and speed that a guy like Powell had. So it's just, once again, I thought it was early for Pirine. It's kind of ironic. I thought, you know, you look at Eno Benjamin, he went in the seventh round to Arizona, who I thought was a really good pass catcher and another very hard-nosed runner. I just don't really know the difference between those guys. So it was, a, it was that was a weird pick to me. So once again, it's not that Piran's a bad player by any stretch of the means. It's just when you're when I take swings at running back, I want to go for guys that have some kind of you know premium trait that you're looking to add. If you want to have a, a backfield, a committee backfield, do you want three of the same kind of guy, just different talent levels? I, I don't know. That doesn't that doesn't necessarily add up to me. But now more of the good, the optimistic side of things here. After I was obviously very high on Ashton Davis. Cam Clark is an exciting player because his transition to the interior, I think, does make a lot of sense. I think he he played a very good left tackle for Charlotte for years. Uh, I don't think he has the feet to play tackle, but I think he has the strength to survive on the inside of the next level, especially as a run blocker. Truly somebody that just plays through the whistle. You could see why him and Mekhi Becton are such good friends. They just come out there and and just love to punch people in the mouth and, and try to honestly get under their opponent's skin at times. And Cam Clark isn't the kind of guy that bullied just the small, the lower level programs. I mean, there's snaps against Tennessee where Tennessee is visibly frustrated and annoyed by him constantly in their face three to four seconds after the whistle and not the kind of after the whistle where he's going to get flagged for it. He's just kind of a gnat only he's, he's, you know, 315 pounds. (laughs) So I think with Cam Clark, I liked the film. I like that he can develop as a guard. They have a million guards on one-year deals. So my idea of this pick was take them, develop them, get them reps inside, and then you hope in 2021 he's one of your starters at guard in what I think could be a very run-heavy offense with him, Kai Becton, Connor McGovern, 
and then we'll see how the rest of the line shakes out for 2021. So this was a, a projection pick and one that super high character player, uh, very hardworking player. I actually really like this pick. I think when you look at Bryce Hall, he fell because of the injury. I, I had him as a third round player. He, and before he got hurt, I had him as a second round player. Now there are limitations with Bryce Hall for all of the good. I think he's a, a zone corner that does a really good job in press coverage. I do think the lack of deep speed shows up at times where he does get beat over the top. If you watch, you know, Tamarian Terry from Florida State got him a couple times, but the quarterback just couldn't find Terry down the field. So with Hall, and that's okay because not everybody's Darrell Revis, right? Not everybody lines up on an island, presses a receiver, and can turn their hips and run 50 yards down the field with them every time. Corners get beat. It's natural. So for Hall – He's so good underneath. The way he could break over the top or underneath on the football uh, on shorter routes, very tough, I think. There's times where he comes downfield again. He has good football awareness, like really good football awareness. He could sniff out screens, great instincts to find the football, something that a lot of young corners do not do. He was very good in that regard. He has good size. So if you're asking a guy to be a press corner or in a zone kind of corner, he has the size where he can really disrupt you at the line of scrimmage. And in zone, I thought he had really good awareness to read the quarterback's eyes and close on the football. So with Hall, I take that injury gamble that late in the draft because I think you can work him in slowly. And in 2021, you're hoping that he's one of your outside starting corners that, you know, he's going to need some help at times over the top, but it's, he's worth it because he's so good on everything in short and intermediate ranges. So I, I was a big Bryce Hall fan and think that's a good value pick. Now, the reason I like James Morgan, and, and just to touch on Braden Man quick, that's, I mean, you don't see that many punters that are that good in college. It would just be kind of a shock if the guy's not a top 10 punter in the NFL pretty quickly, the way he could flip the field. James Morgan, now, you're right, Scott. It seems like a weird one for the Jets, right? Because this was a difficult pick for me to analyze because – James Morgan, you know, weeks leading up to the draft, I'd said on Sick of Football was my favorite day three quarterback because he's like the anti-Jake Fromm. He's not like, like this, you know, super boring, you know, short passer. He's a guy with tons of arm talent. He can throw the ball down the field. He can move in and out of the pocket. Kind of plays like a backyard football player. Uh, everybody loves him around the program. He, he's going to fit in very well in that quarterback room with Sam Darnold. He, he's somebody that gutted through injury this year. The team kind of stunk in terms of the drops that they had, constantly dropping passes from him that were good throws. So uh, in the intermediate game, he, he has really, really good arm strength, where I think in the intermediate game is where he could start to thrive. So I think with Morgan, it's a pick that you would have really liked if this team had like a, a veteran backup as the number two. Like, uh, I, I hate using, like, Matt Moore, but anybody like that, Andy Dalton, you know, anybody, as a veteran number two behind Sam Darnold, where Morgan is almost forgotten about <laughs> this year, where you're like, oh, I forgot he was on the team. And then in the 2021, pre you know, you get to look at him this year in preseason, but then in the 2021 preseason, you want to see him and be like, okay, now we don't have to spend money at backup quarterback anymore, which is quietly not something cheap in the NFL very often, unless – you go the Luke Falk route, then it can be cheap and disastrous, as we've seen. So I think with Morgan, I like the player. I think it's a unique, interesting fit with the Jets where 
they still kind of they kind of blew it in terms of getting a veteran number two backup. That market dried up in front of their eyes. I, I don't really have an explanation of why they ignored it. I mean, did they need any more proof after what happened last year in those three games where the offense was one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life with Luke Falk? I, it was a little bizarre to me. So they maybe they value Morgan as a guy that is ready to be a backup this year, and that which is a higher value than all of us have. But once again, the long-term future, I, I'm excited about Morgan's tools, his traits. I think he's somebody that there aren't limitations. And day three quarterbacks often have significant, significant limitations. And he's somebody that I didn't see that with. So I think if you can really work on his mechanics, which were all over the place and led to a lot of inaccuracy issues when he's off, then, then you might have something there, which is, you know, the Jets had a lot of needs. And a lot of people probably didn't like them taking a quarterback in the fourth round. But I'll say this, at a minimum, in just a nutshell of watching the player, I kind of am excited to see him, to see if he could be coached up. And, you know, now, once again, I don't know how much I believe in Adam Gase doing that. But overall, I do think Morgan has a lot of talent. That's going to wrap up part one of our off-season discussion with Connor Rogers, co-host of Stick to Football with Matt Miller on Bleacher Report and the subscription-only podcast Badlands with Joe Caparoso. We'll be back with part two tomorrow covering free agency. Until then, do not forget to subscribe to Badlands if you haven't already. You get the 10-part docuseries on the Jets' descent into the wilderness over the last 10 years and how they can get themselves out of it with the tremendous lineup of guests. And now you get the weekly podcasts on top of that with Joe and Connor. Sometimes it's just Joe and Connor dropping some outstanding tidbits of information that you're not going to get anywhere else. And sometimes you get special guests that very rarely make appearances anywhere else, including C.J. Mosley, the Jets' all-pro inside linebacker. So if you haven't subscribed yet, like I said, go ahead. Podbean has it. You can sign up there, or you can find the links at jcaparoso and at Connor J. Rogers on Twitter. If you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could go ahead and do that for us, really appreciate it. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. It doesn't take you much time. It doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.